Trinity. We're coming back this afternoon to the book of 2 Corinthians. And you may have seen this leaflet, which is just inside your service sheet. And it's uh, just a little summary to remind you about 2 Corinthians. It's our book of the year. And uh, we had a good look at it earlier on in the year. We're coming back to it today. And we're going to have a look at it right through to the end of the book. Um, You may know that sometimes it's possible to try and be more sound than Jesus. I I don't know if you know what I mean by that. But sometimes uh, we want to tie things up really neatly in a way that Jesus never does. It's, it's possible to try and be more sound than Jesus. And uh, sometimes it's possible to try and be more powerful than Paul. I don't know if, uh, uh, if you've ever been, been accused of that. We love sort of power play from our leaders. We love strength and success and power. And it's so easy to translate that into what we look for in Christian ministry, in, in, into uh, what we look for in our Christian ministers. That is until we remember that Paul was the apostle who despaired of life itself. Can you imagine an apostle despairing of life itself? That's what it says in 2 Corinthians. And he's an apostle who wants his weakness to be on display so that God's power would be made more obvious. That's the Apostle Paul. So 2 Corinthians is our book of the year. We're coming back to it today. And it's a snapshot of a difficult relationship between Paul and the Corinthian church. He planted the church in Corinth in, in 50 AD. Uh, he probably, this is, 2 Corinthians is probably actually the fourth letter that he's written to the church, all kinds of difficulties. Things are going a bit better between them. We're going to be hearing about that from 2 Corinthians 7 this afternoon. But it's a picture of of Christian ministry in a difficult situation. Paul relating to a church where he wasn't always very popular, but he's not ashamed of his weakness because he knows it lets God's light shine through. And so it's a reminder for us here at Trinity that genuine gospel ministry will often look weak, it'll often look unsuccessful, and sometimes it will feel like death. That's what Paul says. We don't have to try and be stronger than Paul. That's a relief, isn't it? Don't you think? We just need to know that God's power is perfected in weakness. And that's our series. We're coming back to it. I think uh, Karen and Sam are going to come and read to us from chapter 7 as we come back to this book of 2 Corinthians. We're calling our series The Gospel According to Weakness. Thank you, Karen and Sam. The reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 to 16. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when um, we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed 
at every turn conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that God, that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Thanks, Sam, very much indeed. And uh, thank you, Karen. That's the part of the Bible we're going to be looking at. Do keep it open in front of you. It's on page 1163. But, uh, just before we do that, I'm going to lead us in prayer. So why don't we pray together? Let's pray. Father God, we've already sung that we were lost people and uh, you came and rescued us, that we were weary and uh, we needed to find our rest in you. And so I pray, Father, uh, that as we stand before you, sometimes feeling weak, that you would speak to us and that we would hear your voice and that we would find the repentance that leads to salvation. And so like Paul, that our joy would be greater than ever. Please speak to us in that way this afternoon, Father God, and we ask in your name. Amen. Uh, well, I was talking with some friends this week about uh, whether we'd ever been sent out of class when we were at school. Uh, anyone other than me ever been sent out of class? Matt, I could have, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I maybe guessed that might be the case, but uh, maybe that was unfair. I, I was always being sent out of class, all the time I was being sent out of class. 
because uh, when I was younger and I was rebuked, uh, then I'd always complain. I'd always answer back. So I'd say, you know, it wasn't me and everyone else was doing it. And anyway, the lesson's really boring. And I said, Hobson, out, out. Uh, happens to me all the time. Of course, now that I'm, uh, now that I'm grown up, uh, at least in, in a lot of ways, then uh, I don't answer back in quite the same way. Um, so I was stopped by a policeman last year, um, just at the junction of, uh, just by Copenhagen Street, um, for turning left at a crossroads on my bike um, just after the traffic light had gone red. And uh, I was very polite to the policeman. I called him officer and, uh, and told him how sorry I was. But inside I was thinking, um, you know, it had only just gone red, and what's the harm in turning left? And shouldn't you be catching real criminals rather than people like me? I'm a vicar, did you know that? <laughs> um, I didn't say any of that, of course. Um, how do you respond when you're rebuked? What's your response like, I wonder? How do you feel? Because the way that we respond says a great deal about what we're like on the inside, uh, about, our, about our thought life. Because sometimes when we're, when we're rebuked, then it brings out all of that insecurity and all of that self-justification and all of that anger and all of that resentment and all of that criticism of, of the other person. And we can sometimes even shock ourselves, I think, uh, because we didn't know that that was all there until someone criticizes us and then out it all comes. Yeah? And, and, and that's why it matters how this church in Corinth that Paul's writing to uh, in this letter in about 56 AD, that's why it matters how they're going to respond, how they're going to respond to rebuke. It says a great deal about this church when it comes to how they're going to deal with the sort of criticism that they've been facing. Let me just remind you how we got to this point in, in 2 Corinthians. Maybe turn back a couple of pages um, turn back just a couple of pages to chapter 2, verse 1. Um, Paul's already been to Corinth twice. He, he was thinking about going back a third time. And it looked like someone had rejected Paul. And, and while the Corinthian church hadn't uh, completely backed uh, this, this guy who was criticizing Paul, they hadn't really um, backed Paul either. And so Paul was thinking of going back to rebuke them. But instead of going back, Paul decided that a, a, a better approach would be to write them a letter. So uh, let me remind you what he said back in chapter 2, verse 1. This is Paul speaking. He said, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I've grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came... I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Okay, so Paul wrote a letter, and it was a letter rebuking them, 
and he sent it off with someone called Titus. In those days, there wasn't a sort of postal service. So you gave a letter to someone, you said, could you deliver this for me? And he took it off to Corinth. And, and from that point in the letter, Paul's been waiting for a response from the Corinthian church. He wants to know how they've responded to the rebuke. So um, he says this in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, just over the page. Have a look at that, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, page 160. See, Paul wants to know how they've responded to the rebukes. He's going to say so much about the church. Chapter 2, verse 12. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. So Paul's been in Troas. He was hoping that Titus might come back and give him news about how the Corinthian church were responding, but he doesn't find him there. And even though he had um, ministry opportunities, he decides he's going to go off to Macedonia because he's concerned. He wants to know what the news is. And that's the story that's picked up in chapter 7. So come back with me to chapter 7. Paul's given us five chapters about sort of authentic Christian ministry, what Christian ministry should, should look like, the way he does ministry, authentic gospel ministry. And then he comes back to the story in chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, and he's, he's stressed because he wants to hear news from Titus. What's the news going to be? Uh, he's, he's going on to Macedonia, you remember, and then he picks up the story in chapter 7, verse 5. So have a look at that. When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. He's turned up. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your, your deep sorrow your ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever. Again, it matters how you respond to rebuke. And the Corinthian church had responded well. And, and, and that gave Paul incredible joy. It matters how you respond to rebuke, you know, whether it, whether it makes us feel insecure or whether we just answer back. We're going to learn about a good response to rebuke this afternoon from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to do that under three headings, roughly taken from uh, three sections in 2 Corinthians 7. And the first comes from the heart of the passage, that bit right in the center. And we're calling it this, real repentance brings you back to God. Okay, that's our first point. Real repentance brings you back to God. So how do you respond to rebuke? I remember once when I was at, um, at Bible college, I completely messed up a situation. I messed up a personal relationship. And a friend of mine told me that with complete honesty. And it hurt. Do you know that proverb? Uh, it talks about the wounds of a friend. Have you, um, do you know that one? An enemy multiplies kisses, but faithful are wounds from a friend. 
and I felt wounded. It hurt. And perhaps you can see in uh, chapter 7, verse 8, those words that signify pain. Um, Chapter 7, verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, a few tears were shed, I imagine, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. It's one of those painful letters to receive. Rebuke hurts, but there are, there are two different kinds of sorrow that can follow on from that. Okay, have a look at that. Can you see that down in verse 10, chapter 7, verse 10? Two different kinds of sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. That's type one. Type two, but worldly sorrow brings death. So the first kind of sorrow is, is literally sorrow towards God. That's what it means. Um, someone tells us that we've messed up. It might be a church leader. It might, might be one of our friends. And, and we're sorry because that's come in the way of our relationship with God. We're aware of, of, the, of the way that the Lord must see us and, and, we know that we've, and that we know that we've grieved him and that he must hate what we've done. And that's where the sorrow comes from. It, it, it's sorrow, like it says right at the end of verse 9, sorrow as God intended. You see that? Sorrow as God intended. But the second kind of sorrow is the sort of sorrow according to their world. So it says literally, someone rebukes us and, and, and we care primarily at a horizontal level. Um, we, we're sort of aware of, of sort of relationships with, with other people primarily. Um, we might feel humiliated. We might feel that people are talking about us. Uh, we might not feel comfortable coming to church anymore. Some people feel like that. The people have stopped approving of us. But it, it's sorrow only insofar as what it's done to me you see, and, and God gets sort of cut out of the picture. Um, so in our small groups on, on Tuesday night, we'd love you to, we'd love you to join one of those if you're not yet part of a small group to come along on a Tuesday night. We saw an example of repentance according to the world, and, and that was Pharaoh. So God brings um, plagues against Pharaoh uh, in the book of Exodus, and Pharaoh's aware of what they've done to him and so he sort of changes his mind in 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 one regard in a kind of superficial way he seems to repent but he's only sorry for what's happened to him you see it's all horizontal um, that's what he's worried about but then a couple of weeks ago we looked at um psalm 51 this is that's an example of of good sorrow isn't it sorry towards god uh, if you know psalm 51 it's written by king king david and um, King David's done something pretty shocking. He's, um, he's had an affair with a friend's wife uh, and, then, and then tried to kill her husband. Uh, but when we were in church, we said a, a, a few lines from Psalm 51 uh, where David says, against you only have I sinned. He's talking to God. It's a vertical, Yeah. Against you only have I sinned. And I, I sort of read that, and you can't, I kind of think, David, you've sinned against your wife, you've sinned against the person you've slept with, you've sinned against her husband, and you've sinned against your son. Um, you've sinned against almost everybody in this situation. Um, and David wouldn't deny that. But his sorrow 
It's that he's hurt the God who made him. His focus is, is on God. And you see how healthy that is? Perhaps you found that in your own experience. You know, I have. Sometimes I've been sort of fighting and uh, trying to justify myself, and I think, actually, um, yeah, I was in the wrong. Uh, and there's great relief in that. It's very healthy to repent like that when you realize how much you've offended God. I put a table up on the screen of all the things that Paul says follow on from uh, the repentance that the Corinthians have, have been doing. This is godly sorry. This is good sorry. Can you see how good it is for you? It's like, a, I don't know, it's a load of vegetables that give you lots of vitamins or, um, uh, you know, that one decision that you make that pays dividends further down the line. Godly sorrow has all of these effects. Have a look at this. Verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Verse 11, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. They've done the right thing. They've taken it to God. They've realized how much their sin has hurt God, and so that, that leads to change, you see, leads to transformation. I don't know, if, if, if someone asked you what the sort of day-to-day -day, um, experience of being a Christian's like, then there are lots of different answers to that. I mean, if someone asked you that after the service, I wonder what you say. You know, what, what's it like being a Christian? That's the sort of question we want to be ready to answer, isn't it? Um, and there are all kinds of different answers that we might give. We've all had slightly different experiences of, of the Christian life. And you might say it's... Um, it's, it's being aware of God or um, finding purpose and sort of reading our Bibles and, and knowing answer prayer. And all those things are absolutely true in their own way. And, and, all, and, and many of us will experience those things. But um, there was a crucial time in history uh, in the 16th century, a long, long time ago, uh, when there was a guy called Martin Luther. And he sort of kicked off the Reformation, uh, if, you know, if you know about that. And uh, whether he did or not, uh, we're not entirely sure, but, but the story has it that he nailed 95 ideas. Certainly they were, they were published, 95 ideas that come out of the Bible that Martin Luther was worried that people had forgotten. A crucial moment in Christian history. Yeah, and, and you might have heard of those. They're known as the 95 Theses. And uh, do you know how they begin? This is the start. Martin Luther said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. It's a good place to start, isn't it? Because when you're abused, when people point out something that you might have done wrong, um, you don't try and justify yourself. You don't try and stick up for yourself. You don't try and make excuses. You take it to God, an entire life of repentance. Because real repentance brings you back to God. It's that vertical relationship that's, that's mended against you only have I sinned, says David. And the Corinthians had got that right. So we need to ask, how, how do we respond to rebuke? How do you respond to rebuke? Um, 
you know, sometimes we, um, you know, we're just very aware of the horizontal. We, I, I sometimes feel upset that I've made extra work for myself. You know, I've made such a mess, and now I'm going to have to go and sort it out. And uh, I'm worried that people are fed up with me, and I think people might think less of me. And I can feel that I've spoiled my life, and I'm worried that people are saying things behind my back, and my reputation hasn't been done a whole lot of good. And uh, I don't feel happy being with Christians anymore because I think they might be looking down on me, and they might be judging me. And, and, and if that's all of my response, then I'm putting myself at the center, and, um, and I'm in danger. It's just horizontal, you see. I'm feeling sorry for myself, and there's a kind of sorry that leads to death, and Paul warns us about that. But if I put God at the center, how do you respond to rebuke? Do you think to yourself, it matters because I've let God down and, you know, it's that vertical axis and then, you know, as I repent of my sins, you can see all the things, that, all the good things that come from that. Um, forgiveness and earnestness, eagerness, indignation, alarm, longing, concern. It leaves no regret, no regret. Fancy living a life free of regret. Real repentance brings you back to God. Uh, but then secondly, and, uh, and more briefly, real repentance brings you not just back to God, but it brings you back to God's word. And that comes in, in verses 12 to 15. That's what we're going to learn from verses 12 to 15. Um, let me read um, verse 12 out to you. See what you notice about it. There's something a bit strange about it, I think. Um, remember, Titus has come back and he's told Paul that the Corinthians have, have repented in the right way. Well, why is that good news? Verse 12. Have a look at that. Verse 12. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party. This is the dispute that's happened, the way he's fallen out with the, with the Corinthian church. But rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. Does that seem a bit strange? Um, it would say that they could see that they're devoted to Paul. Um, their spiritual health is being demonstrated in, in the way that they were showing allegiance to the Apostle Paul. you think that they would be talking about God at that stage. It's talking about him. I mean, sometimes we do sort of show allegiance for a sort of representative, don't we, in, in a way. So um, Dawn's already prayed about the terrible, terrible atrocities that are happening in, in Ukraine at the moment. It's absolutely right that we should um, show our support and, and pray for Christians there. Um, have a read through Psalm 31. Um, that's the psalm that, as a nation, uh, they're reading and praying through together. Um, on Wednesday, the Duchess of Cambridge visited the Ukraine Cultural Centre in Holland Park, so I read in the paper, and uh, she wore the colours of the Ukrainian flag. Um, a bit like me, I'm wearing the colours of the Ukrainian flag. I think her clothes were for Alexander McQueen, though, and mine aren't, so that's, that's the difference between us. But it's, it's a way of showing support, isn't it? It's a way of showing support. Uh, and the week before that, Charles and Camilla visited the Ukrainian ambassador, and they were carrying yellow sunflowers, which were the national, which are the national flower of Ukraine. You know, whatever you make of the royal family, they wanted to show that they were devoted to Ukraine by devoting themselves to the things that represent that country. 
You can see that. And for the Corinthians, Paul represents the gospel. So, so for them to come back to the Apostle Paul, it really is for them to come back to the gospel. The, the, two, the two are almost one and the same. I, I mean, he's the, he's the apostle. Uh, he's God's spokesman. He's actually, it says in, in chapter 5, he's God's ambassador. So they're going to the ambassador and they're being reconciled with him as, as a way of showing that they're reconciled to God himself. And as he teaches the gospel to the Corinthian church, those words are written down for us in the Bible. That's true, isn't it? We, we have the apostles' words written down for us in the Bible. And so for us, um, our devotion to the apostles' words written here are in one sense our, our response to God himself, aren't they? Can you see that? Real repentance brings you back to God's word. It, it, it must do. And, and that's going to change the way that we respond to rebuke. Let, let me explain how, okay? Um, sometimes you can have just that low-grade feeling of guilt. Do you know what that's like? Some people live with that every day. Sometimes it's connected with depression. Uh, some of us it's connected with our upbringing. Maybe we're always told we're doing things wrong. And we can live with this day-to-day feeling of guilt. And, and, and that can be really, really hard. Um, I was going to bed the other day, uh, and, um, and I often feel, you know, whatever you make of this, I often feel guilty that I don't spend enough time in prayer. And um, uh, I was going to bed and thinking, oh, Jeremy, um, you know, I feel really bad that I haven't spent enough time in prayer today. Um, because that's sort of the way I go to bed every night. And then I, I thought back through the day, I thought, well, actually, um, actually today was a good day for prayer. It's, a, it's that sort of low-level feeling of guilt that you have sometimes as a, as a Christian. Um, and that's false guilt, isn't it? That's false guilt. And sometimes, sometimes we can go through that experience day by day. Um, we need to take that back to God's Word. Or on the other hand, maybe we feel sort of falsely confident. Maybe we think, oh, people at church think I'm all right, and uh, no one's rebuking me, my life seems to be on the rails, and we have a sort of false confidence. We, we, we feel really good about ourselves. Um, maybe we need to take that back to the Word, take, take it back to the Bible. Because that will unmask false guilt. You know, we read our Bible and think... Um, Actually, God's, God's doing an amazing work in me. Um, or maybe we, we've got this sort of false confidence and we go back to the Bible and we think, do you know what, actually that part of the Bible brings me down to size. It reminds me that there are things I'm not doing that, that perhaps I should be doing. You know, we, we can't always trust our feelings. It's true, isn't it? We need to let his word rebuke us. All scripture is, is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking. And if someone rebukes us at church, it means that we can say this very politely to them uh, and feel free to say this to me if, if, if I'm someone involved in that. Would you mind showing me that from the Bible? That's a useful thing to say, isn't it? 
someone comes to you and rebukes you, you say, well, well, would you mind just opening the Bible and showing me that? Because um, then we know that it's not just an ax that they're grinding or um, it's not just personal, you know, and so we don't need to come back to them and say, well, your life isn't so perfect, is it? Uh, which is often my first response. Um, if we know that it's God rebuking us through his words, well, then um, it undercuts all that false guilt, it undercuts that false confidence and that personal offense, and it means we're re- repenting because of what the Bible has shown us about our lives. Can you see how functional that is? Not that the passage leaves it there. Let's just uh, look at one more point very briefly this time before we finish. And, this, and it's this. Repentance brings genuine joy. Repentance brings genuine joy. Now, perhaps you noticed all the words, as, as Karen and Sam were reading this part of the Bible to us, perhaps you noticed all those words about joy in the passage. Um, have a look at the end of verse 4. In all our troubles... My joy knows no bounds. It's the same word that Paul's used a number of times in the book of 2 Corinthians for something abounding, something being um, sort of overflowing and, uh, uh, and really abundant. So in chapter 1, he talked about comfort overflowing. And uh, chapter 2, he talked about love overflowing. And then he talks about that sort of glorious ministry overflowing. In chapter 3, thanksgiving overflowing in chapter 4. And he uses the same word here in in chapter 7, but he puts puts another word on the front which gives us the word hyper. So um, his joy hyper abounds. (laughs) He's all these things abound, but my joy hyper abounds. His joy is greater than ever. Or um, verse 16, have a look down at that right at the end of the passage. I am glad, literally I rejoice that I can have complete confidence in you. Can you, can you feel the joy? Um, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, why the joy then? There's so much um, water under the bridge between Paul and this church. There's difficulty, visits, tears, letters why the joy i mean that they're clearly not the finished article paul's got a lot more to go on and say um chapters eight and nine he's going to talk about a a collection of money uh, that he hasn't completed yet and then um chapters 10 to 13 he's going to say all kinds of things about these false apostles and uh, and about the way that they're living their lives um, all kinds of things that are going to need sorting out but he he knows you see he knows that god's going to complete the work He's got confidence in that. And in the same way, you know, we're not the finished article. I'm not the finished article, and I'll wager that you aren't either. But as, as we repent ourselves, as, as, as we see other people around us repent, that brings, it brings joy. It's a good thing, yeah? Because we can be confident that God's at work both in ourselves and in in the people around about us as we repent that is a good sign god brings comfort and when we think you know i just i just can't do this i think it's i I think sometimes it's just hopeless 
Um, I'm just not going to make it through, and I feel like despairing. But when we think, you know, I've got this, don't worry about me, it's all under control. No, says Paul, um, respond with repentance, respond with godly sorrow when, when you're rebuked, when, when, when the Bible speaks to you, and then you and other people will know the joy that repentance brings. It's such a good sign, isn't it? such a good sign of health. It's like um, vegetables full of vitamins, or it's like a, a treatment that's going to sort you out. Re- repentance. It means joy to yourself, yeah? A joy, to, joy to your church leaders. It's so good. I can't tell you how stressful it is being a church leader sometimes. I, I, I hold up the Apostle Paul and say that, you know, he was flogged, he was thrown out of cities. Um, those were just lighter momentary troubles. What, what gets to him is his um, concern for all the churches. So as a church leader, when I see you repenting, when you see me repenting, that brings hyper-abounding joy because we know that God's at work and we trust that he's going to bring it to conclusion. And we know that there is joy, it says in the Bible. Joy felt in heaven over one sinner who repents. Well, I'm going to pray as we finish. So why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, the Apostle Paul um, saw such positive responses from the Corinthian church to his letter of rebuke, and that gave him enormous joy. He, he, he shows us how, um, how, how sorrow is to be towards you and how we're to be reconciled with you. And he's shown us uh, what it means to, um, uh, to read your words so that um, when we repent, it's over, over things that are, 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 are true, over, over words that you've spoken to us. Uh, and he's shown us the immense joy that comes from repentance. And so I pray, Father, we'd be an encouragement to one another, we'd be an encouragement to our church leaders. We ourselves would know that encouragement of our hearts that are repentant and responsive to you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.